This is Bless You Boys Podcast 128, recorded Friday, September 12th, 2014, with Al Beaton, Hook Slide, and special guest, Mario and Pemba. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Bless You Boys podcast, where the editorial staff of BlessYouBoys.com, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog, kicks around the past week of Detroit Tigers baseball and other Major League Baseball topics. As always, I am your host, co-managing editor of the site, Al Beaton. Joining me, as always, is the man I like to call the King of West Michigan, an acolyte of Earl Weaver, and a big-time softball coach, and that would be the man you know as Hookslide. Hookslide, how's things on the West Side? Going just great, Al. How are things with you? Hey, can't complain, can't complain. But I got to ask you, what yeah. happened this week with the softball? Uh, it was ugly, so we're just going <laughs> to skip right past that topic and uh, on with the show. All right. <laughs> talk about a, talk about taking a pass on that. <laughs> All right. A couple things about the podcast where we get to our very, very special guest that uh, you can't wait to have who we have on this week. Uh, if you want to contact us, please give us an email at bybpodcast at gmail.com, bybtigers at gmail.com. That's the catch-all email for Bless You Boys. We're also on Twitter at Bless You Boys, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash byb.tigers. As always, uh, just search for Bless You Boys on Twitter or Facebook. Like us, follow us, and we have a lot of entertaining content, and we do try to have a lot of fun during the games. So please, um, and we do appreciate your interest. All right, we have... Lots to talk about, Hook Slide, but before we even get to what happened this week, we have a very, very special guest, and we can't wait to talk to him. So, it's all yours. All right. So, this week uh, on deck, we have a, a voice that should be familiar to every one of our, our listening audience, uh, a native of Michigan, spent eight years broadcasting with the Peoria Chiefs in the minor league before spending seven seasons with the Anaheim Angels in the major leagues, and then finally came back home to Michigan, going on his 13th season now as the play-by-play announcer for the Detroit Tigers, and most recently author of the book, If These Walls Could Talk, stories from the Detroit Tigers dugout, locker room, and press box that came out uh, just this past April. Uh, we're happy to welcome Mario and Pemba. Mario, how you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you today? Doing just fine. All right. Uh, just before we get to everything, and we have a, obviously a, quite a bit to ask you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book exactly, you know, how you became an author and and what made you want to write this particular story? Well, let's use the term author very loosely here before, <laughs> before we get into this. Uh, yeah, I, you know, guys, it was basically, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago in, uh, in the postseason here at Comerica Park, Mike Eisenberg, who is our coordinating producer and is the co-author of this book, uh, and did a lot of the legwork on it and a lot of the, the research around the stories that I, that I tell. He approached me about doing a, a book because the Tigers have been playing well. They've gone to the playoffs now for three, four consecutive years. And he said, you know, we ought to do a book. And I thought, well, 
you know, I'm not really Ernie Harwell, so I, I really don't think people are going to want to read a book uh, that I have, you know, that I've written. But he convinced me to do it. And, uh, you know, over the years, I had I put together some stories, had collected them, and we put, finally put them into book form. And uh, it came out this past April. And uh, so far, so good. I think the, the reception on it's been pretty good. It's, it's certainly not a tell-all book. I mean, you know, for those looking for dirt, you're not going to get it here. But um, just some stuff that I think has been interesting that, that I've observed over my career. And uh, we just we're going with it. All right. Uh, all right. And also, uh, I know you wanted to talk about this real quick. Uh, you're involved with an, an ongoing charity initiative that runs every year and focuses on military veterans. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's Operation Opening Day, and what we do is we take a, uh, a tape of Opening Day and then put it in CD form or DVD form, I should say, and, and ship it out to uh, all of our troops around the world, really, whether it's domestic or uh, you know, over the pond. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you want a, a DVD of opening day, we'll send it to you for free. It's in conjunction with the Detroit Tigers Foundation. And I think it's just a great way of, of you know, bringing a piece of home to our troops around the world that are serving our country. And I, I feel real strongly that uh, they're a very important part of our uh, society. And so it's just a, a small token to, um, you know, give them a piece of home on opening day because opening day, as you know, guys, is such a uh, a big part of Detroit, and, and I think it's important to kind of keep those guys uh, in the loop on that. Oh, yeah, definitely. I completely agree, and it's a wonderful initiative, and we'll make sure to have links to all to the book and to uh, everything Mario's got, his, uh, got going on in the show notes. All right, uh, about the Tigers. This is your 13th season as the play-by-play announcer for the Tigers. It's hard to believe it's been that long, to be honest with you. Uh, so you've had you've called some great baseball moments and games for fans. What really are your favorite play-by-play moments in your career in baseball? Well, you know, I've got a few of them. Unfortunately, a lot of them would have to do with postseason, but because mm-hmm. of the way television contracts work, we don't get to do postseason. We're basically just pre- and post-game stuff. So, you know, a lot of the postseason stuff like Maglio's home run and, and things of that nature and getting to World Series, I never had a chance to do because uh, we're not broadcasting at that point. But you know, when you look back at a lot of the things that, you know, the Tigers have accomplished over the years, you know, Verlander's two no-hitters stick out. Um, I, I think those are probably two of the things that, that I remember the most. But I, I think that the one thing that I really remember the most was back in 2003, getting a chance to broadcast a game with Ernie Harwell. I thought that was uh, one of the highlights of my career. He was a, obviously a guy that had grown up watching and analyzing and, and have a chance to work with him something special. Yeah, that's uh, – and- and if, if just kind of add on to that, uh, who are some of your influences? Who made you want to become a broadcaster? Is it a guy who's like Ernie Harwell? Well, it's a great question. I would start with Ernie, but it doesn't end with Ernie because as a kid, I was one of those kids that would just, you know, flip around the radio and, and try and pick up all the big stations around the country that I could in Detroit. And so invariably I'd get uh, Jack Buck at KMOX. I'd, I'd hear uh, WBAT in Dallas and, and hear Mark Holtz do games, um, Brickhouse, uh, Harry Carey. Uh, there are a lot of them. I, you know, I loved listening to the different styles. Eric Nadell down with the Rangers as well. Um, because I think that's the best way to learn, and it's the best way to pick up some things that, that might be beneficial to you. And, you know, there may be some things that guys do that you don't like, and maybe you don't incorporate those things. But I think the more people you listen to, the more styles you listen mm-hmm. to, I think it really gives you a chance to develop your own style. Yeah, and th- and that's a great point because I remember growing up doing the same thing, uh, twirling the dial at night and hearing all these great voices from these clear channel stations, at these 50,000-watt blow torches. I think that's something that we've lost over the years, Mario, because, you know, with the way broadcasting has changed and a lot of the uh, 
radio stations that the, the broadcasts have gone to FM. It's much more localized now. You don't get those. You don't have the Harwells and the Bucks and the and the Carries who can be heard across dozens and dozens of states anymore. I find that kind of a shame. I do too, and and I think you're right. I think you know you think back in the days and and when I was growing up in the '70s and '80s, the Tigers were on television maybe twenty, forty times a year at the most. Right. You know, and if they were on the game of the week, you were so excited. Mm-hmm. Well, now every game is on television, and so. And that's kind of taken away from uh, the romanticism of radio, and I think I'm still a radio guy at heart. I, I grew up on radio, and you know, my first job in L.A. with the Angels was in radio, so uh, I have a special affinity for uh, the work that Dan Dickerson does. I think he does a fabulous job on radio here, and it, it's such a different animal when you're doing play-by-play for baseball on radio as opposed to television. But you're right; you know, it's a different world now. Um, you know, you can fire up your computer and, and get any game you want anywhere in the world. So uh, it's definitely a different time we live in. But I think you're right. I think it has taken away, uh, you know, some of the uh, romantic aspects of, of baseball on, on radio. Yeah, and and leading to your broadcast, it's obvious you and Rod have a lot of fun. Rod Allen, uh, you guys will spontaneously go off on tangents. Uh, it, it, you know, it's like the, there was the incident where Rod mentioned that. Uh, he once kicked over some fences, pretending to be Bruce Lee, things like that. Uh, do you have some favorite moments uh, with your career, uh, Rod? Just that, just kind of off the wall, spont- spontaneous stuff that you really didn't see coming. Well, I think that happens every night. You know, yeah. I say to myself, "Well, I didn't see that coming." Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that's kind of part of the magic of what we have. I mean, I, you know, obviously. I I don't think we're the greatest broadcast team in the world, but I do think one thing. I think both of us come to the ballpark, we respect the game. Uh, we we always feel that that's the most important thing. What happens on the field, and that gets back to Ernie Harwell because that's something he always taught me. Mm-hmm. Always respect what happens on the field first. You guys are not the story. The mm-hmm. story is on the field. So I, I think we kind of strike a balance on that, but. You know, we also live in a time now where you've got to be somewhat entertaining. And I think that's what Rod brings to the booth. And um, I I can't really pick one instant, but I I can pick in my mind a thousand different times when he just made me laugh, you know, spontaneously. And whether it's, you know, with one of his uh, colloquialisms, one of his uh, crazy stories, or when we, you know, bring out the video of him chasing the picture in Japan. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of different stuff, but, uh, you know, he likes to have fun. He's got a great personality, and I I think it it kind of blends well with what I do. And Mm -hmm. and, and that is that maybe I'm kind of the straight guy, and and, and that's, that's my strength, and I'm good with that. <laughs> You're the uh, Abbot to his Costello, in other words. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I do have to admit, though, when you guys go off on these, it's fun to see uh, the social networks light up when you guys start talking about, like, Rod's days in Japan or even something as, as goofy as uh, uh, a couple nights ago where you had the woman with the hand puppets yelling, Mario! So, <laughs> you know, so I, I agree with you. I think that's really makes for a very entertaining uh, uh telecast and you know and obviously it's uh, you know it's being a local team that you know when you're broadcasting to pretty much the same fan base every night uh, it, it really starts you know fans uh, well let me ask you this do, do fans feel like they know you personally at this point I think so, and I, and I think that we kind of take that for granted sometimes because I will always see fans, and they'll say, hey, would you sign this or would you take a picture? And in my mind, I'm thinking, why in the world do you want me to take a picture? I'm just a regular guy. Mm-hmm. And But then you, you have to stop and think that you come into their living rooms every single night. 
and you're almost part of their family. And, you know, when you come to the ballpark and you work the game, you kind of forget those elements of, of what the fans go through. Um, so I think it's important. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think that, you know, people kind of think we're, we're part of their family. And we have some detractors, too. I'll, I'll be honest. We have some people that, that uh, light us up on Twitter every night, and, and, and that's good. I mean, I, I don't expect to please everybody, but, um, you know, the more people you can you can touch and you can you can please, then I think – uh, the better you're doing your job, and, and that's what we aim for. Yeah, and that yep. kind of leads to this question: that some you, you do get criticized at times for. Uh, I think the detractors would say you, you you and Rod tend to be unwilling to say anything negative about the team or players. Uh, in your book, you do mention that two points about that are that a lot of fans don't consider that. Well, one, being overly critical is not part of your personality. You know, I, I think that comes across in the broadcast. And second, players, I, I take it players are aware of what's said about, said about them on, on air and the newspapers. And you do have to deal with these guys every day. So what, what kind of dynamics are you talking about here? Uh, if your day to day job, trying to balance, you know, uh, you know, being a, you know, reporting on the team, yet dealing with these people you're reporting on every day. Well, it's a difficult balance. I mean, in my mind, there's no doubt about that. that you know, the one thing we have to deal with, and look, here, here's what I live by when, when mm -hmm. I do ball games. I was never able to play at the major league level. In fact, I was never even good enough to play at the college level. So yeah. I think I understand the game. I've been around the game a lot, and I understand it. But I don't understand what it takes to play this game at this level. So for me to go on the air every night and, and criticize players and 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 talk down to players and talk down to fans, it's not a real smart thing to do, in my opinion, because I don't have the skill to do what these guys do. Um, having said that, fans are not stupid. I mean, especially these days. I mean, we have the most educated fans ever now because of the Internet and because of the great analysts we have on television, and uh, they're understanding the game a little bit more. But you're right. You know, for me to pile on, say, Phil Coke at the beginning of the year when he was really struggling, I had to go in the locker room the next day and deal with Phil Coke. And I still need him to talk to me. And I still need the manager to talk to me. And I still need Miguel Cabrera to talk to me. But if I'm killing these guys every night, that ain't going to happen. Right. Uh, you know, you, you, you break those um, abilities to, to kind of bridge uh, what you do with what, with what they do. And that's important as a lifeline to what we do. We need to have those lines of communication open. So, you know, I think if everybody had a chance to sit in our chair for just one season to see what we have to go through and, and, and the relationships we have to, to formulate, they would understand why we do it our way. Now, there are guys out there that obviously don't care. Hawk Harrelson, mm -hmm. well, Hawk's been in the game a long time. You know, he, yeah. he can say whatever he wants. Um, you know, but I think for us, we, we really have to watch what we do. And, and like I said, I mean, that's the way I prefer to do it anyway. Yeah. And that kind of leads into the advanced metrics, Saber metrics and, it's not about an educated fan base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. We're, we're, we're at that point in history, Mario, like you said, you know, we've got access to all the stats and some of the deep stats. And, you know, so the uh, the information that we're getting is not primarily necessarily coming from the broadcast booth anymore. Um, so that, you know, just it raises that, that question of, you know, um, one of the criticisms that we sometimes hear, at least from from guys that are uh, more more metrics oriented, you know, is that there's there's not enough of that in the television broadcast, and uh, but yet at the same time, it's it's starting to bleed through. I think a little bit, you know, the old days of the the uh, graphics on screen that used to just show home runs, RBIs, and batting average are gone, and we're starting to see like on the pitchers. Uh, stat charts will show their whip and their uh, strikeout to walk ratio and that kind of thing. Um, so, can you talk maybe a little bit about that about what you're uh, 
you know, what's your take on the on the advancement of, of Saber metrics and whether or not you see that kind of becoming more of a regular part of the broadcast conversation in the, in the years to come? Well, it's a great question, and it's one that we have to answer every year, and it's one that, you know, deserves to be answered every year. I think we are making strides. I think we even had a, um, earlier in the, in the game this year, we even showed FIP. And, you exactly. know, for us, that's, that's been way out there for us. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for us to go on the air and try and explain the calculations that go into figuring out war would take us forever. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure even some sabermetricians can, 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 you know, concisely explain that. You know, we had a seminar at the beginning of the year. We do this every year in L.A. where all the regions get together and, and then Fox Sports puts it on. And we go over things and how to improve our broadcasts and one of the things that Fox did this offseason was poll a lot of fans. I don't know what the exact number was, but what are the most important things to the fans on television? What do they want on a nightly basis? And believe it or not, statistics did not even make the top mm-hmm. ten. And so, you know, as as a broadcaster now, you've got to figure out what the fans want. And you've got to appeal to the largest, most wide, broad base that you can to get as many people interested as you can. So if statistics ranks really, really low, then we're probably not going to put a whole lot of emphasis on that. Now, having said that, I think you do have to find a way to kind of open some inroads there, open some doors, because look at all these front offices now in the major leagues. They all have guys that are uh, statistic-oriented, and, and the advanced metrics are becoming more and more of a, a of daily life in baseball. So you can't ignore it. And I believe that there's a lot of value to a lot of them. Um, but for what we do We've got to be, I mean, we've got to be the USA Today of broadcast. You know what I mean? I mean we have mm-hmm. to make it concise. We have to make it quick. And we can't talk over the heads of a lot of people, and we can't talk down to a lot of people. So it's a, it's a difficult balance. But I think we're kind of getting there. And I think that as we continue along now, we'll try and add more and more, but only if we can explain them very concisely and quickly. Yeah, and I think that's what the, uh, the hardcore fan tends to forget, Mario, is that, yeah, uh, the vast majority of people you're talking to are much more casual about the game, and they could tune in and tune out, and sometimes the game's on in the background. And, but that makes up the vast majority, I take it, of, of, the, uh, of the fan base that's watching the game night to night. Well, it does. And if, if I were to go on the air tonight and talk about war, um, and, if, and, if, and if a writer were to write an article about war, which would be easier to comprehend? Something you can go back and read over and over and over, or something that was just said in 30 seconds and did you retain it? I don't know. Well, I didn't, and now it's gone. Um, so that's the battle we fight. Yeah. But at the but it is I gotta admit this though when when FIP was put on the air the internet went nuts so <laughs> <laughs> and I understand I understand yeah. why yeah exactly all right uh, we, this has been an interesting week for um, for yourself and Roddy Allen because uh, uh, there's been uh, an experiment in the booth with Jack Morris and obviously there's uh, rumors and reports going around that you may be going to a three-man booth next year, and this is kind of an audition for Jack. And obviously uh, it could be someone else as well that, that Fox Sports Detroit kind of likes to get the uh, perspective of a pitcher into the broadcast. Uh, so th- you've been together, for Rod, for almost 13 years, and you really have this great chemistry that really comes across in the broadcast. Uh, has uh, adding Jack to the broadcast this week uh, giving you some different hurdles to deal with, and you know what's some of the pros and cons of going to a three-man booth. 
Well, I, I think some of the pros are that when you bring in a guy like Jack Morris, um, you know, nobody knows more about pitching than Jack Morris. I mean, for God's sake, he's accomplished a whole lot in this game and is a borderline Hall of Famer and, in my opinion, is a Hall of Famer. So anytime you can bring a guy like that in and have him give you some expertise on things that you never would have even considered, I think it's a pro. You know, the hurdles that we face, uh, as you put it, is that – you know, it, the dynamic does change a little bit from my end of things. Um, in other words, I have to lay out a little bit more just to make sure neither one of the guys has something to say. And then when I sense that they don't, then I can get back into the play I play. So, you know, that, that creates a little bit of a different dynamic and it's something that we've had to get used to. But I think, you know, the, the second day was better than the first day and the third day was better than the second day. And we expect tonight to be better than uh, the last broadcast we did. But, um, it's a chance, I think, down here, down the stretch, to quite honestly uh, interject a new voice. Uh, it's been a long year, and by long I mean in terms of time of game. If you look at some of the time of game, I mean, we had a couple of nine-inning, four-hour games. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, anytime you can freshen it up, you can add a little bit of a charge, especially in the pennant race with a guy that has Jack's presence and Jack's ability and knowledge, then I, I think it's a, it's a cool thing to try, and that's what we're doing right now. Yeah, so it, it, to use a basketball metaphor, you're kind of like the point guard right now, and your job is to set up, I take it, Rod and uh, and Jack at times, to so they can have a chance to get their points across. Yeah, I, I'm just trying not to throw the ball out of bounds. I mean, that, that's all I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm just trying to keep the game flowing here, and and so um, what I found is it's easy to just you know lob passes up to each of these guys because they're you know they're willing and, and able to talk about the game like no others. So, uh, but you're right, it's 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 somewhat of a point guard situation. But now I have a couple of weapons to deal with instead of just one. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, before we start wrapping up with Mario, we want to touch a little bit about the Tigers. Uh, team itself and what's been going on this year. Uh, obviously, it's been a struggle, I think, more than most fans anticipated. Uh, I don't think anybody uh, – I think fans didn't think that at this point the Tigers would be fighting for their playoff lives. But there has been a lot of adversity for this team that no one would have saw coming when it comes to injuries and things like that. Uh, so what have been some of your – you think some of your biggest surprises this year, uh, good and bad? Well, you're right. We have had some challenges that people didn't anticipate. And sometimes unless you travel with a team, you don't know what the challenges are. You know, like having our plane break down after the 8 o'clock game in Boston and, and not traveling until the next day in Cleveland, all of a sudden that started a slide. It, it, you know, it just it ruins your schedule. Playing a 19-inning game in Toronto and all of a sudden your bullpen's trashed and now it takes a week to recover from that. But, you know, beyond those two things, the, the things that have surprised me is I, I just don't think we've been as consistent yeah. uh, offensively as I thought we would would have been um you know obviously the two guys in the middle cabrera and uh and victor have been outstanding um but you know ian kinsler had a great first half slowed down in the second half and now is hopefully going to pick it up again um just inconsistencies which i really haven't been able to put my finger on it and you know of course the bullpen has been inconsistent too and you can't win without a strong bullpen so uh hopefully those things will will, will clear themselves out but you know when you're looking at positives it's all got to start with jd martinez i mean Definitely. where would the tigers be right now with, with jd in the five hole i mean mm -hmm. uh i i just may want to think about it so uh there's been a lot of good and bad in this season but in the end um think back to 2003 would you rather be there or would you rather be here so that's kind of the way <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and just maybe looking towards next year a little bit, uh, do you, is there any specific uh, areas of the team you think they're going to target? Because there are, are going to be a lot of question marks, like specifically such as the outfield. 
Yeah, no doubt. I, I think that Dave's going to have a really busy offseason. I think they have to figure out first and foremost is Max Scherzer stay. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's going to happen with David Price, though. He kind of edged his bet a little bit with that. Uh, you got to figure out, does Victor Martinez come back? How much money does he want? How many years does he want? And does he fit into the payroll? Um, you know, I, I think there are things, I mean, you need another outfielder, I think. Um, mm-hmm. the, the positive is Jose Iglesias will, will hopefully come back next year, and, and Nick Castellanos has another year under his belt. So when you look at the infield, that's, that's pretty solid. Um, you know, what do you do with Torrey Hunter at the end of the year? Uh, Austin Jackson is now gone, so who plays center field in the future? Is it Rajay Davis? Is it someone else? So there are a lot of things to consider this offseason. A lot of them have to do with money. A lot of them yeah. have to do with filling holes in the lineup. So uh, Dave's going to have his work cut out for him, but it's going to be interesting to see how he goes goes about it this offseason. Yeah, and just to follow up for you to that, you, do you think the Tigers are going to extend David Price? I think so. I, I think they traded for him for now and the future with one eye that Max might not be coming back. So I think they will. Um, I'm certainly not privy to their plan, mm-hmm. um, you know, but he's a guy that, you know, he's a Cy Young winner that eats up innings, man, and, and those guys are gold. So I, I think they'll do anything they can to keep him in the Tiger rotation. All right, uh, hook slide. Before we let Mario go, as he's got a real job to go to, uh, and so we can watch him tonight. Uh, anything you'd like to add or anything you'd like to ask him before we uh, uh, move on? Well, sure. Let's let's have a little fun as we as we head towards the door. And Mario, thank you so much for, for being willing to join us on this. It's been a ton of fun, and I hope you'll be uh, willing to, to join us again in the future. Um, for your bonus round question, let's talk a little bit about one of the uh, unwritten rules of baseball, which is you don't talk about no hitters when they're happening. <laughs> and how does this how does this play out for you as a broadcaster when when someone like say Justin Verlander has gone seven innings? Do you talk about it? Do you not talk about it? What's what's your take on that? Am I doing radio or TV? Yeah, uh, television. All right, I'm not talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 here's why. You know what? People people complain to me when I say I'm not superstitious. There's no such thing as jinx. You know, quit telling me I'm a jinx, yet I won't talk about a no-hitter, so I'm superstitious. And they're right. It's a double standard. I am talking out of both sides of my mouth. But I will say this. I will say this. There, I think of not talking about no-hitters as more of a tradition than a superstition. And, and to me, there's a difference. I think that it's kind of cool where the guys don't sit around the pitcher on the bench. They just leave him alone when he's got one going. That's kind of what we do up here now. For radio, I think you do your listeners a disservice because they can't see what's going on. In television, we have so many visual cues. We can we can show the scoreboard. We can talk loosely about what's going on. We can show pictures of them sitting by themselves on the bench. So in television, no, I don't talk about it. In radio, I would. And I know I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but that's just the way it is. All right. Well, and, and, and it does make a lot of sense because you're right. Because I do remember when some of Verlander's no hitters, you just had the the camera panning across the scoreboard to the threes right. and things like that. Right. So you're right. There's a lot of visual cues. All right. Before we let you go, how can fans contact you? Where can they find you online? And you know, where can they get the book? Uh, Mario underscore Impemba on Twitter, uh, MarioImpemba.com, and, and the book is available at all Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Amazon.com as well. So uh, we hope you go out and get it, and uh, hope you enjoy it. And if you don't want to read it, that's okay, too. It's up to you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mario, and we really appreciate you taking the, the time out because we know you have a lot going on on a game day. So uh, thank you again, and uh, I hope you have a good broadcast tonight. Hey, guys, have a great day, and call me anytime. Let's do it again. All right. Thank Thanks. you. And boy, that was a lot of fun. I was uh, Mario had a had a lot of 
Well, he made a lot of good points in that he really has to walk a line, Hookslide, when it comes to, uh, obviously, you know, because we're, a, when it comes down to it, guys like us, who, you know, we write for a baseball site and people who go to a baseball site like ours all the time, we're a niche. Realistically, we're more of a niche. We're a niche fan compared to the, the kind of people who, who check and see how, some, what, what, how many home runs Miguel Cabrera has and what he's hitting right now, average wise. And they make up the great, I think the vast majority of people, who both listen to the games to Dan Dickerson and who watch the games with Mario and Pemba. And right. uh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you, I would love to see more, more in-depth stats, but he's right. I think he's, the fear is they will confuse people. Yeah. At least for the time being. I mean, yeah. as the stats begin to become more of the regular, uh, you know, part of the regular conversation around baseball, mm-hmm. uh, it won't be so much of a, a foreign thing anymore. I mean, right. You know, at some point, war is going to be, or FIP, you know, or, or ex-FIP, you know, whatever is going to be part of that regular conversation. It won't be such a foreign concept. It'll be more at home in the broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like, I like his analogy of saying that they have to kind of be the USA Today. Yeah, you know, that was a uh, great analogy, really. Where, where, where someone like Dan Dickerson can afford to be more, I don't know, what we would get, the New Yorker or something. You yeah. Know? <laughs> that, uh, yeah, he's not quite the baseball prospectus or anything, but he leans no. more towards that a little bit. So, right. But then again, he's also got... Jim Price, who can cover the more uh, well casual fan base with the, those right. things, with the with the yellow hammers and things like that. So, right, right. Yeah. And so, like you said, too, I like his his perspective too on, on just how, the the fine line you have to walk and what you're saying about the players and about the team. Because um, I remember uh, he does cover that in the book a little bit. Um, you know, about <laughs> accidentally saying some things or or saying uh, things that came off too harsh that you know later some players wouldn't talk to him anymore <laughs> because yeah. they didn't like it. You know, Paul Carey had the same thing he talked about in the 84 season uh right before the season began or right when it first got started that he mm-hmm. gave an interview or said something on the air to the effect that he figured the tigers of 84 were going to be in third place that's where they'd finish yeah and he said on the next trip back to the dugout no, uh, nobody would talk to him and <laughs> i think it was, he said lance Parrish and maybe kurt gibson both came up to him and kind of got after him and said well, are you crazy you know yeah. you, you think we're going to finish and he said oh my goodness he didn't realize this information gets back you know to the clubhouse so quickly but it, it does yeah yeah, and that's a, a difference, I think, between a side like us and the jobs that the, the beat writers that we've talked to over the last few, few couple of weeks, such as uh, Jason Beck and Chris Syatt and with Mario and Pemba. Uh, we're going to talk to Dan Dickerson in a couple of weeks. And, yeah, they, they have to be with this team day in, day out for, God, countless months, nine months out of the year practically. And we, I, I, we, we tend to be a little harsher, but then again, we don't have to show up in the clubhouse every day. Funny, isn't it? And there's probably a life lesson there too. Exactly. Know? If you if you know you have to actually deal with the people that you're talking about, then maybe you would measure your words, you know, yeah. a little more carefully. Because there's yeah. a there's a nice way to say bad things too, yeah. I believe. You know, so it's just yeah. it's just one of those things. Yeah, and we're fans, and sometimes we let frustration get the best of us. You know, especially when we're online on Twitter or something. So, uh, you know, I think, well, boy, maybe I was a little harsh there, but you know, especially, uh, and he's right, especially when it came to the Phil Coke stuff, which uh, I think really got out of hand. And and look what he's doing now. He's really resurrected his career this year. And good for him, you know. Goodness, yeah, and it saved the Tigers. And we need that right now. Yes, exactly. All right, well, let's get to the Tigers. Let's start now. And once again, thank you for Mario and Pemba. We'll have uh, links in the show notes to uh, everything Mario's got going on. All right, this big week was really the focus this week. Uh, hook slide was really the Royals. Uh, the Tigers took two of three from Kansas City this week, and uh, really the Tigers really outplayed the Royals in the first two games. And the difference in the third game, which they lost, was really you know, a big game. James Shields lived up to his nickname, 
Uh, he salvaged the finale for, for Kansas City by uh, rowing seven two-hit innings, shutting out the Tigers. Uh, the Royals really needed to avoid a sweep, which Shields allowed them to do. And at the time, when they left Detroit, they had a one-game lead. But they did lose last night. Obviously, we're recording this on Friday the 12th of September. So the lead is, realistically, they're tied because they got the suspended game in Cleveland to take into account. And that's, you know, that's 99.5% chance they're going to lose that game. I think they're down three or four runs with three outs to go. So I don't know about you, but... Are you happy with the results? Yeah, one, are you happy with the results? I guess let's start with that because a sweep would have been great. But I can live with two or three. But I think the question is, they can't end up splitting these six games. I think they do have to win that series in Kansas City next week. Absolutely, they have to win that series. And, uh, you know, in any other time of the year, any other uh, series in the season, you would be thrilled with a two of three, you know, Mm -hmm. ending. Uh, I was actually, and I know I'm spoiled, but I was a little bit disappointed they didn't, you know, take the sweep only only because it felt like it was such a, a you know a mountain climb to get to that point and finally get tied for first place and then of course you know you get shut out and then there it is guess what we're back in second place and again trying to you know mm-hmm. get back to the top so it was a little bit you know frustrating but there's nothing yeah. you can do about that you know a sweep is, is asking for an awful lot especially against james shields in the finale yeah. um so it's uh yeah it, just because you can't uh, you can't control what the kansas city royals do and mm-hmm. uh, now that we're not playing them, it's it's back to, you know, we have to beat the teams that we're playing and hope that they lose to the teams that they're playing. Nice to see them take the loss to the Red Sox last night. That puts us, yeah. like you said, within, you know, striking distance. So Yeah, it's only a half game in the standings, but I, I, realistically not. they're tied. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But uh, the Tigers do need to start winning games in bunches. And this and the schedule, hooks I think, really would lean towards them being able to do that because they really are playing – over the next over the end of the season, you take those three games away from the Royals that they play next weekend. Uh, the, the teams are going to be playing uh, over the next week, two and a half weeks, really have nothing to play for. You know, other, the, the tribe are kind of, sort of in the wild card race, but I think they're four or five out right now. And the, and the Tigers have three games with them this weekend. But after that, you know, th- there's no reason why the Tigers shouldn't play 600 ball at least over the next two and a half weeks, if they play to their capabilities. And that's been the issue all year. Right, That exactly. That has been the issue, and that's the struggle. And I know uh, we had an article on the site just this past week, you know, saying, uh, comparing the schedules and actually making the argument that the Tigers have the easier schedule yeah. over the Royals. And uh, But I, I kind of go with the one one of our community members who posted the comments and said, yeah, but this year, at least, mm-hmm. the Tigers have played dead even 500 ball with the other uh, AL Central teams. In fact, I think they might even have a losing record to the Indians. I'm not, I have to double check that, but I know with mm-hmm. the Twins and the, and the White Sox, I think they're playing 500 even. Yeah. So really, in their own division kansas city is the only team that they've really beat up on and you know thank god for that the way things are going down this year um but to your point they need to play better against those teams now yep. than they have all year and that's that's just uh, it's something that i think they're capable of doing but the results so far haven't shown that they you know they will do that yeah and you're correct i have the standings in front of me the tigers are uh, 11 and 5 against the royals they're 500 against everybody else yeah, and that, and that really that's the difference in the division right now. This is, those are is. especially the Twins and the White Sox. The Tigers should be beating up and just tossing them away, and they're not. Right, so they got a couple of weeks yet to kind of you know step it up just a little bit mm-hmm. and play a little better than five hundred, and then that, that you know you hope that's enough to get them into the you know, first place and to stay there. 
Yeah, because I, I do not want them to end up in the wild card. Yes, it would be a playoff spot, but God, that game is such a coin flip. It's just, you know, we've been there, done that that game 163. I don't want to go there again. Oh, God. Not, I really want, yeah, I don't want to think about it right not now. Not enough alcohol in the world, Al. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and speaking of pressure, uh, do you think the Royals were affected somewhat by this? This is new to them. They, no, the Tigers, when it comes down to it, the core of this team, have been going through playoff battles for the most part since 2006. You know, if you want to go back to the, you know, to Justin Verlander, and even over the last four years or so, the vast core of this team has been through some some tight playoffs uh, of races. You know, and especially specifically 2012, where the Tigers were in worse shape than they are now against the White Sox, and they still managed to come back and win the division. Uh, and the Royals, they played. You know, this is a team that has some several legitimate Gold Glove winners. You know, Gold Glove candidates on this on their team, and they played some shoddy, shoddy defense and made some very questionable strategy calls. And, and it happened again against uh, Boston last night, where Eric Hosmer made a, uh, made some bad errors. And it really kind of looks like you know, because the Tigers really outplayed them for the vast majority of that series, that maybe the pressure's getting to the Royals a little bit because they never they haven't been here in decades. And that could be the Tigers' one big advantage over these next two and a half weeks. Well, I'll, I'll take the opposite then. I'll take the counterpoint and say, hey, let, let, let's draw the analogy because the other night uh, in that game against James Shields, mm-hmm. they were the Tigers were in a run scoring position, and Don Kelly came to the plate, and instead of you know pinch hitting somebody with a slightly more powerful bat to help them get those runs, and Brad Osmus said after the game that Don Kelly was the only left-handed bat, quote unquote, with experience. Ah, yeah, playing the experience card. Playing the experience card. And I, I tend to agree with those that said, oh, look, I'll take talent over experience any day mm-hmm. of the week in that situation. And I think the same applies to the, what you're saying about the Royals and the Tigers. Uh, is, is it just because they don't have the experience, quote-unquote, of being in the independent race? I don't think so. I think if they're a talented team, then they play hard and they win, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of whether they've you know been here in the last two years or the last 20. Um, so I don't, I don't see that as really having any kind of effect. Yeah, well, that leads to the battle of the dugouts. And Ned Yost is is really considered to be by many the Royals' Achilles' heel, and you know, and the, uh, and then again, you could argue that well, we really don't know what Brad Ausmus is going to be able to pull off because he's never been here before either. But he does have Gene Lamont by his side who has, and that might be enough to get the Tigers' advantage in the dugout. And it really points to Yost made a huge misstep in the ninth inning. Was that uh, that would have been what Tuesday night, right? Where he pinch uh, mid at bat, pinch ran Jared Dyson, and yeah, his run didn't mean anything because it was a two run lead at the time with Joe Nathan on the mound, and the move was essentially, uh, you know, the Tigers even said this after the game that it was uh, you know you, you a neon sign blinking double steal double steal double steal, and Joe Nathan. And obviously between Nathan, uh, Romine, and uh, Ian Kinsler, they all knew we got to watch what's going on at second base. And Kinsler snuck over and pulled off the uh, the pickoff, essentially blowing up any chance at a Royals rally and sending Kansas City Royals fans into conniption fits. So it was really, if you ask me, I don't know what Yost was thinking, but he has been, I think, really the butt uh, he's really been the, the, the kind of the, the the eye of the storm when it comes to the anger around the Royals fans about this team. So you got to wonder, 
is Ned Yost going to be the Achilles heel over these next two and a half weeks? Well, I mean, it's certainly in the eyes of the Royals fans. And yeah. like you said, that's kind of been an ongoing thing. And if I'm not mistaken, he was fired uh, by another team. Was it the Brewers? I believe so. Uh, I think it was one of those deals where he was fired mid-season, so that's kind of a mm-hmm. stigma that he's had hanging over him for a while, and I've, I've heard that brought up in the Royal fan base, you know, saying, hey, there's a reason why he was let go in the middle of a season, and now, you know, so I was kind of waiting uh, for this uh, series with Kansas City to see just how bad is this guy, and, uh, you know, the, there seemed to be a little bit of that uh, on Tuesday night, although... I, w- I will say I think the moves that he made there in the ninth inning were – you can understand them. They're they're logical in a sense. I think the execution was was terrible yeah. um, because, like you said, it was just the way that he did it. The, the order of execution was just mm. – he was telegraphing all of his punches at that point. He's got the, the tying run at first base, and he did pinch run uh, Gore. For mm-hmm. Florin Fonte there to get to, right. you know a little bit of speed there and hopefully score that. Uh, but re- remember, it was Alex Gordon at the plate at the time. And so you're kind of hoping that Gordon, who is your biggest, you know, guy with pop in the bat, who, you know, will maybe give you a double or a triple. And you need that fast runner at first to score the tying run. Well, Gordon struck out. Mm-hmm. And so now he realizes I got my next best hitter, Perez. And after that, it's a black hole. Yeah. So something's got to happen here with Perez. And that's why he stopped mid at bat and said, OK, we, we've got to take away the double play, you know, and set it up so that Perez only has to get a base hit to score the you know, the tying run. Mm-hmm. So bring out your, your next fastest runner, get him a second base and pull off the double steal. But like you said, the way that that played out, yeah, just a neon sign that it was, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Nathan said, Ian Kinsler saw it and said, yeah, I knew something was up. And, you know, the way that they pulled that off was just, it was yeah, it made it look beautiful. Easy. It, yeah, so... it made it look easy. And speaking of Neos uh, getting fired, yeah, you know when he got fired? Mid-September of 2008 with the Brewers. Ouch. And and the Brewers actually ended up making the play, actually winning the wild card that year. It was replaced oh, by Dale Swaim. So Ugh. and he got fired because they had the the Royals had been in on a two week skid uh and were on the verge of falling out of playoff contention. So yeah, he's that's talk about a black mark on your record. That's you know, being fired in the middle of a pennant race, I'm surprised you're able to get another damn job. Right. You would think that'd be a, a very difficult thing to follow up. And, and like you say, I don't know the circumstances surrounding that. Maybe that's legitimate. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, just because a guy gets fired doesn't mean that he should have been. Yeah. You know, teams have been known for making stupider decisions at the yeah. you know, front office level. So you'd hate to let that kind of color your perspective. But eh, at the same time, you know, there's there's obviously something there. And, and the Royals fans have been talking about it for a long time. And we maybe saw just hints of it yeah. you know, throughout the series. But if that's the case, hey, great. Let's, mm-hmm. let's see more of those weak spots in the next series. Exactly. All right. Uh, there's all, there has been some good news with the Tigers, not just that they took two or three from the Royals, but that was the return of Joaquin Soria. Uh, I could, he, he's been out, he was been out a month. It was hard to believe. But, yeah, he made his first appearance in nearly a month in the Royals series finale. Uh, he did give up a run. He gave up a triple and a sacrifice fly. But from all accounts, both Soria and the Tigers were very encouraged about how he threw. And this is uh, this could make a huge difference down the stretch if he's healthy and is throwing well because all of a sudden uh, Jabba Chamberlain is no longer a sure thing. Yeah, what has happened to Jabba? Yeah. The guy who was supposed to be, or who was, I mean, yeah. the lockdown man for the eighth mm-hmm. inning. And you could count on, if you couldn't count on anybody else, you could count on Jabba. And now that's, uh, I, I don't even know where that, where that right. went. So yes, it helps to have Joaquin Soria back. Although, you know, he, he didn't do so hot in his first couple starts. 
uh, when he first joined the Tigers after the trade deadline. And then he came out for his first appearance of the night and was promptly welcomed with a, a triple, wasn't it? Or a double, mm-hmm. double or a triple? Oh, a triple. <laughs> triple. Yeah. So uh, let, let's hope that uh, we, we see a little more dominance out of him or, or we're going to be back to flipping coins for the eighth inning now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah, and, and, and without him, it has been. You know, they've kept running uh, Chamberlain out there, but. He well, you know, scary in the second half. He has, and the thing that, that's kind of interesting to me is looking at the. We got to see the Royals bullpen on full display yeah. again, and it's just an amazing uh, bullpen. And uh, mm-hmm. oh, who was it that pitched? The, it was Wade Davis that pitched yeah. the other night. That has got that ridiculous ERA. He hasn't given up a run since like June, I mm-hmm. think. And you look at that bullpen, and you, I at least I look at it and think, well, that that is a playoff bullpen. That's that's one of those bullpens that you know you, that will get you very very far in the postseason. And you just kind of wish that the Tigers had something comparable to that. But unfortunately, it's just it's a lot of guessing right now. Yeah, yeah. And Soria could change that if he if he's his old self. And right, and Joe Nathan for the most part has been pretty solid himself as of late. So it's look, you know, if if those two can come through and you know get the Tigers to the postseason, I. I'm okay with that. I just wish Chamberlain could help lock down that, that, that part of that as well. But it really doesn't look like it's going to happen right now. At least the way he's pitching. Well, yeah, I, you I never know. Comp- I've lost confidence in him. It's sad to say. Sure, sure. I mean, in a couple of bad outings, we'll do that. A couple of weeks of bad outings, we'll do yeah. that even more. Um, so it does get to that point where you say, well, I'm not even sure why this is happening. And it makes it hard to be confident in seeing that guy come out and pitch. Right. On the other hand, it only takes a couple of really good dominant outings to start to feel better about that. And I'll, I'll tie that into Joe Nathan's performance exactly. on Tuesday. Yeah. You know, he'd been pitching a little better anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I said it on Twitter. I'll say it again. That that outing on Tuesday is exactly what I think of it as you know the ideal closers outing. Where even though he got unlucky on a couple of base hits and put the first two runners on, mm-hmm. he very quickly took the situation back into his own hands by knocking out two strikeouts. Yeah. And then that pickoff, of course, helped you know immensely. But for a guy to be able to go out there and say, "Whoops, two hits," they weren't really his fault. You know, seeing eye singles or whatever, they weren't even that. It was just you know, wrong hit, the wrong place, wrong time, whatever. Right. But for him to bounce back from that and say, "Well, then I'll just strike the next guy out." Yeah, that's what he did. You know, that's that's the closer right there. That's what you want to yeah. see. Yeah. So yes. pe- mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, I think people are feeling a little better about Joe Nathan as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's uh, uh, yeah, exactly. There was a lot of weird luck involved in that inning, but like I said he pulled he pulled his uh, he pulled the Tigers out of a fire uh, again. And I agree, it wasn't that route that that aborted rally was not part. It was really not a fault of Joe Nathan because come on, two seen ice high choppers that go into the hole on the left side it hit you know those balls hit hit five feet in either direction and they're out. You know, so it's one of those. That's baseball, and luckily the Tigers were able to pull out of that. All right, speaking of guy who has been able to pull out of something, that's Miguel Cabrera. Uh, I don't want to say he's back from the dead, but he's definitely back from the intensive care ward. Uh, his August was awful upside. He hit two fifty two. Uh, his on-base percentage was solid, but still an un-Cabrera-like three fifty four, and he only slugged three thirty six. He only had a six ninety one OPS in, in August with just one home run and just 10 RBI. In September, he's hitting like he's returned to his MVP form, despite the gimpy ankle and who knows about the, the the core injury surgery stuff. But he is slugging; he's just hitting the damn cover off the ball. He's got a OPS over one point three, five home runs, and just as many RBI in in, in less than two weeks that he had in all of, in thirty one days of August. He's hitting four fifty this month. So, uh, if anything, if if anything's going to push the Tigers over the top. 
it's Miguel Cabrera hitting like this. Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. I was just talking to uh, some guys on, on the WBBL radio show mm-hmm. this, this the other day about that and, and saying, you know, can you imagine what this would look like if, if Miguel Cabrera were hitting his typical 40 home runs instead yeah. of just 20 or 22 or whatever he's at right now? Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're, you're looking at, you know, 15 to 20 runs minimum. Yeah, you know, in, in production right now, probably more than that, because if he hits 40 home runs, you know, there's going to be some two run shots and three run yeah. shots in there uh, with the number of runs that he, uh, you know, normally produces missing now this, you know, this season. You're, mm-hmm. t- you're, you're talking that several wins, I think. Yeah. At, you know, at least in raw conversion, converting runs to, to win totals, you know, you're, you're looking at a pretty big difference. So mm-hmm. it's really good to see him swinging the bat well. And to kind of, like you said, come out of that a little bit in September. Once he gets going on a tear, we saw this last year, last August was his big month. Right. You know, he just went on a tear and was hitting everything and hit two home runs off Mariano Rivera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to see this. You want to see this going into the playoffs. Yeah. I just well, I just want just be careful with them. And they're doing that because he is playing a lot more DH right now. Well, it's good uh, to see that, too. Yeah, exactly. So because it was obvious when, you know, there, there was been some defensive plays at first base where either he was unable to make a play because he just couldn't plant on that foot or he was making plays, and then you could just see him grimace in pain afterwards. So he's not right, but it's not keeping him from hitting, just hitting the ball. No, and if he's going to save his own ankles, he needs to go ahead and hit those home runs because yeah, yeah, yeah. we saw it was just the other night where he he hit a single, I think, or he walked. Anyway, he was on yeah. first base, and the next uh, either there was V Mart or JD Martin next that hit a double, and they had to score Cabrera from first and to see him. That you looked know, awful. It looked like oh so my much goodness. Pain. And I'm just I'm wincing the entire way, going, please, please yeah. don't snap, don't snap, don't snap. Yeah. You know? <laughs> don't don't let there be a play at the plate and a slide and all that stuff, you know. So, oh, buddy, just hit the ball harder, and then you won't have to run. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of who hasn't snapped, so excited is uh, Kyle Lobstein. Uh, he's come out of nowhere with this team. And he, he, I won't call him a savior, but he sure has been a godsend in replacing Anibal Sanchez. Uh, he's 1-0 with a 212 ERA in 17 innings in his three starts. And the Tigers have won all three of his starts so far. So, you know, I, I just, I'm not saying this guy is going to end up in a rotation next year. He's going to be a long-term solution. I'm just asking, just keep it up for two more weeks. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, let's let's talk about those numbers again. You say he's yeah. one or no. Yeah. Two twelve ERA, seventeen innings pitched. The Tigers have won all three of his starts. Mm-hmm. How is that not savior status at this point, considering what he, point. Yeah. considering who he replaced? You yeah. know? If he if he has to replace, it's Animal Sanchez for crying out loud. You know, we yeah. thought we were going to take a huge, huge hit. Yeah. And Lobstein has done so much to kind of plug that hole, you know, in the leaky boat, so to speak. Uh, it's been amazing. I, I you really hope that this is for real, and it's, I know it's a small mm-hmm. sample size, but I, you know, this this could be a legitimate uh, starter. If not next year, maybe the, the year after that. You know, yeah, don't know. it could become a usable piece. Right, know? right. Yeah, um, that, which is something no one saw coming. No, no, he's pitching better than you know than Robbie Ray has pitched, mm-hmm. at least at the major league level. So, you know, if Ray doesn't work out, you know, to become that uh, back end rotation guy, you know, next year, then maybe Lobstein becomes the guy. Yeah, and just one thing to be aware of is that he he may end up facing some teams a, a second time, and that's really going to show if. You know, was that's, it, yeah. they don't know him or was it he's actually got some stuff? Because, you know, the second time around, that's really when it will show you if, you know, maybe there's something there or not. Yeah, that's that's kind of the litmus test, isn't it? Exactly. And we'll, we'll find out, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. I know he's already pitched against uh, the Twins and he's already pitched against the, the Tribe. So I, 
Right. I, I have a feeling. I I haven't checked the uh, probables, but I'm guessing he's probably pitching this weekend. And if he's and if Sanchez doesn't come back, he'll probably end up pitching against the Twins as well. So yeah, Sonny, uh, yeah. There's question mark there, but right now, someone needed to step up. He did. Thank goodness for that. Yeah, Sonny Gray was is it comes to mind as, as yeah, one of those. He, is. he pitched really really well last year uh, against several teams. I mean, just very dominant against several mm-hmm. teams until the second time around, and yep. that, that was kind of the mantra going into the uh, ALDS when he just he blanked the Tigers in the first mm-hmm. time that he faced them, but then he came back out for Game Five, and yep. started looking at the stats and saying, "How does Sonny Gray do the second time around with these teams? He does much worse." And it, it played out, of course, yeah, in the exactly ALDS. How it played out. Yeah. So there's there's a case study for you. You know, just how much of a difference. That can make for the team to have seen him, you know, that that second time around, and maybe develop a little bit more of a book on that pitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, uh, again, there's a lot of questions going on that need to be answered over these next couple of weeks, and hopefully they'll be answered in the way we want to hear it. We'll find out soon. Uh, something else that could be that going that's going to be tied up in a bow at the end, but over the next couple of weeks is the batting title, and Victor Martinez is not only in the race for the AL title, it's for the MLB title. Martinez is neck and neck with uh, Jose Altuve of the Astros. Uh, I, I did, haven't checked where they stand today, but as of yesterday, it was Altuve was hitting 336 to Martinez is 333. Essentially, Altuve is leading by an Altuve. And, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and what's really more impressive about this, though, and you can say the same about Miguel Cabrera when he's won batting titles, is... Altuve is this itty-bitty, slap-hitting speedster uh, who will get infield hits, who will, uh, you know, he'll get more than his fair share of C&I-type base hits, which we don't see from Victor Martinez, who hits for power, who can't run, and hits hits nothing but line drives and fly balls. Uh, It's really remarkable to see a player like this on the verge of winning a batting title. Yeah, you got to say that, like you said, he, he doesn't. Victor does not have uh, Altuve's advantage in terms of the speed that he can beat out some of those singles. But yeah. what, what Victor is doing is hitting the ball hard, yeah. and and he's also playing against the uh, the disadvantage we'll call it of the shift. Yeah. He, so he's constantly having to beat the shift, and the fact that he can do that enough to be so close in the batting race. I just looked at MLB.com. It looks like those numbers still hold today, yeah. 336 to 333. Um, but he's, he, like you said, the fact that he's doing that with, you know, with authority, basically, he, he's not getting cheated on these base hits, doubles, you know, home runs. Mm-hmm. It, it's absolutely remarkable. I would love to see him, you know, take home the batting title just, just as some, you know, recognition for the amazing season that he's had. Yeah, exactly, because he's not going to win the MVP. He's likely going to finish top five. But uh, a batting title, you say what you will about, you know, advanced metrics. The batting title still means something, and I know it still means something to the players as well. And it would mean a huge amount to Martinez, let alone he's in a contract year. <laughs> and yeah, to say, right. yeah, you want to sign the next bat- – you want to sign last year's batting champion? Oh, yeah. I'm Like, like I posted on Twitter the other night uh, after another Martinez base hit. I'm sure his uh, every base hit, his uh, his agent is cranking up the contact a little extra more and anticipating a little bit bigger uh, uh, percentage of that deal because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of money there. Uh, I, I, we'll we'll talk a lot about this, uh, you know, in the off season. I'm sure, but yeah, well, yeah, he, he will speak of his agent because who knows how much money Martinez is making himself right now. Someone uh-huh. may end up offering him an absolutely stupid contract, and it's going to be up to the Tigers how or how long. Essentially, I have a feeling 
It's going to be how many years are they going to be willing to go with this guy? And I, after two or three, you start getting like, he's great and they need his bat, but do you want to commit four years to a 35-year-old DH? Yeah. That's a tough question. You know, it's, exactly. one, it's one that we talked about earlier, and I wrote that mm -hmm. whole article about it for yeah. the site, about what the other options would be. And, uh, you know, like you said, I'm sure his agent has a spreadsheet that has a, you know, conversion chart of base hits to dollars, you know, every yeah. time he punches <laughs> in another number and cha-ching, all right, there's an extra, you know, Yeah, 12, he's probably moving bucks. up from a Lexus to a Ferrari at this That's point. Right. That's payment, right. So. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, there there aren't too many other options, as we discovered no. earlier this year. I mean, Adam Dunn was on the table as, as a potential, but he's been... Uh, traded off to the Oakland A's now, and we'll see if they end up, you know, keeping him beyond his. And he's talking about retiring anyway. Right, right. So I mean, there just aren't a lot of other options right. out there. Not certainly anything that I think the Tigers would be interested in picking up. So hopefully they can get Martinez to. Uh, like you said, I don't think the money is going to be the issue. I think it's going to be the the duration of the contract. Yeah. So if it does become that, if I, I would just hope maybe you front load the deal somehow, or you just make it to the point where that those last couple years are as uh, don't affect your your salary structure that much. Uh, you know, it's just hard to say. You know, because, because you know, is Victor Martinez going to be worth fifteen million dollars a year at the age of thirty nine? Probably not. But yeah. that may be what he's going to get. So you backload that contract with a ton of incentives. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's uh, there's things they can do, and obviously the Tigers are not run by dumb people. But that's going to be a very difficult decision to make. You know, how do you keep Victor Martinez? Yet don't affect the you know, but don't feel like you're because they're going to overpay. I, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're going to overpay for Victor Martinez if they keep him. It's just a matter that you just got to hope that those last couple of years of the, whatever deal they end, if they do get the deal done, that it just doesn't hurt the Tigers that down the line. You know, because they're already talking about that with, for example, um, uh, out I uh, know out with the Angels and uh, and Albert Pujols. So you know, he had his first career Golden Zombero last night. That was a big deal, but. It's hard to say where they're going to go with this, but God, I, right now he's such a pleasure to watch at the plate. It's 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 we're watching a master at work, a guy who can, uh, who's who. You no, know, between watching Cabrera and Martinez, we are blessed being able to watch these two at the plate. We really are. Really fun to watch him face Shields the other night, the first time yeah. through, and watch him just foul off pitch after pitch, and he drove up, mm. you know, with a ten pitch yeah. at bat. And I made the remark on Twitter that that Martinez had seen ten pitches in that at bat, while the first three batters in the lineup had only seen twelve. Yeah. combined you know he was just up there and he you know he doesn't seem to care if he's in the, in the o2 count you know he just walks no. up there thinking i'm always in a hitter's count all the time and exactly. uh the tigers seem to be doing really well with guys in their contract years lately mm -hmm. so maybe we should just build a whole team around <laughs> guys that are in contract years and see what happens that would be interesting that you know and that's been thrown out there you know what if you did have a team with vast majority of players who are in their contract years you'd probably win everything but Right. It'd be a one, like I said, it'd be a one-year wonder. Okay, right, a constant revolving door. Exactly. All right. Uh, the other big news this week, if you want to call it that, was uh, to paraphrase uh, one of my uh, cinematic heroes, Navin P. Johnson. The new schedule is here. The new schedule is here. I'm somebody now. So, Al, are the Tigers on the schedule? <laughs> I think they are. You know what that means? Yes. We're somebody. Yeah. <laughs> We're somebody. <laughs> <laughs> he hates cans. No, I don't even go there. <laughs> uh, but uh, some of the highlights, obviously, the, the season begins at home April 6th with a three-game series against the Twins. Uh, they end the season on the road. I believe it's a, I think it's a seven-game road trip, and it's going to end with, uh, with, I think, a three- or four-game series against the White Sox on October 4th. 
which means that the season ending in the first week of October, one that could the the World Series could end in November, which sucks, but that's baseball for you. Uh, two West Coast swings. One's a seven-gamer against the Angels and A's in, in May. And then the only other trip is a short three-game trip to Seattle in July. So that's cool there. Uh, they'll get all the West Coast trip done early and only ten games total. Interleague docket looks pretty good. Uh, they, uh, for some reason, the uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates have become their rival, and they get them every year. Uh, they play them on the road. They play the Brewers at home, and they have a home and home series with the Reds. That's cool. Yeah. And they have two separate series with the Cubs. So it's all uh, yes, very travel friendly uh, schedule interleague wise. Except for the stupid Cubs. I'm I'm ticked yeah. about that one because see the thing is it's on it's still on my bucket list to go to Wrigley Field. I've never been to Wrigley Field. I really want to do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, me and my wife, end up going to Chicago every year um, in August. And so I looked at the ah. schedule and saw, and guess what? It's it's Right at the same time, but it's like two days after we'd be getting back. So oh. <laughs> I'm just like, you've got to be getting. I could have gone to Wrigley Field and seen the Tigers, but that's not gonna probably not gonna happen this year. So, but cool yeah. that they're going there, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I, I I do like that. It's all for the most part midwestern, uh, north central type teams and you know, rust, um, you know, rust belt teams for the most part that they're going to play in the interleague, and that's cool. I really like that, and uh, there, which also means that. All those all those road games in your league are going to have a big Tiger uh, crowd presence. You know, and the thing that I like about this uh, the schedule too is that it does start a little bit later. It's you know a week yeah. later start than this season, so I think mm-hmm. weather wise that's good. Um, yeah. You know, and baseball fans are going to love the fact that, like you said, we could be playing baseball into November yeah. uh, because the regular season doesn't even end you know until yeah. the, the first week of October. So that's yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, once again, if I believe the Tigers' schedule tends to be a little overloaded with home games in April, uh, as we saw this year, that could come back to bite you in the ass, considering weather-wise. So that that could be a concern. Well, we'll worry about that when we get there, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, who knows? We may have a wonderful spring next year. Let's hope so. Let's hope but, so. Yeah, even though everything I've heard means we're going to have a brutal winter again, but uh well, again, i'm not a meteorologist i'm not the vocal weatherman so time to, i'm just talking we, out my rear we need to get uh, chris Iatt back on the on the podcast yeah. and he can tell us <laughs> what, what is the weather going to be like this winter chris uh, he'll he'll, be, he'll just get a frowny face or something in back <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh all right i guess there's one more thing we should touch on because it could affect the tigers if they make the postseason maybe i should say when they make the postseason and that was the big news that broke early today before we uh, fired up the broadcast was uh, uh, Chris Davis of the Orioles was suspended 25 games. And this is going to go into the playoffs, which the Orioles are going to make. I believe they're like 10 games up right now in yeast for using uh, performance enhancing drug. But in this case, it's not steroids. It's a, it's a amphetamine. It's Adderall, which is considered uh, a drug that will Suppose it's used for ADHD, it's supposed to help you concentrate better. And what's odd about this is that he used it last year. Obviously, he had a monster year, uh, 50 home runs, 130 RBI, whatever it was. Uh, he's having a very down year this year power-wise, but he's still a big part of their offense. And he still took the drug, but he, last year he had a waiver. This year he didn't have a medical waiver. So that just leads me to say, what in the hell were you thinking? You know, that's it seems to be... It, uh, and that seems to be the ongoing thing of this. Uh, we talked about this before the podcast. Miguel Tejada went through the same thing for the exact same reason, you know, not getting the waiver when he got suspended a couple years ago with the Royals. So I just, you know, all you can say is 
well, that's dumb. <laughs> yeah, it, it, to me, it's I mean, it's a little bit dumb all the way around. It's dumb yeah. that you don't remember to get the waiver for something that you you know obviously if he needs it then he needs it. Um, you know, how do you forget to to get the permission to use it? On the other hand, I'm not sure. I mean, I see some people going kind of over the top here. You know, but exactly. well, Chris Davis was out there, you know, uh, barking about PADs uh, last year when the suspensions yeah, he came said, down. I'm clean. He did. Yeah. Right. And I kind of like that. And go. Yeah. They were talking about steroids, though. I mean, let's not conflate the issue here the guy was taking adderall because he's probably got some you know kind of uh, adhd type thing going on so it, he's not taking um you know <laughs> yeah. he's not building massive muscles as a result of this as far as right. i know so let's geez people keep this in context uh, you know on the other hand like you said it's gonna it, there is an impact here yeah. uh but he's not going to be um, he's going to miss some postseason games with the orioles that could impact the tigers on the other hand on the other 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 hand mm-hmm how much of an impact is that really? Because his numbers haven't been all that great this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. It, but it, I, I guess you could always play the the distraction card, <laughs> but you know the media will. Uh, or and for that matter, though, you know you're losing a starter and you get, you have to scramble a bit, and it's going to change things a little bit. But you're right; uh, it's not it's not as huge of a loss as it would have been last year, obviously. But it's you know it's still it's one of those things where you're right. I think it's being there are some people that have gone a little over the top about this, but there is this can. This is a drug that can be abused. You know, it's a, it, like for example, it's big with college students, which they take Adderall, which allows them to do a lot of late, you know, you know, late night cramming and things like that, because you know it, it's essentially a glorified greenie. So, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, as usual with this stuff, folks. Slide. There's a lot of gray area. Yeah, and, uh, honestly, given the, again the nature of the drug itself, and yeah. uh, if they were if MLB was willing to give him a waiver, they obviously saw a legitimate need, you know, yeah. for him to use it. I'm surprised that they're being this harsh yeah. with the with the penalty going into you know again a, a player that's on a playoff team. I'm surprised that they're cracking down quite so hard on you know. No. Well, after what they went through last year with the with the the PED crap and and uh, how and just how. Uh, well, they, they, at this point, Major League Baseball, after what went down last year with Alex Rodriguez, I, I don't ever see them being lenient with anybody anymore when it comes to any kind of stimulant, be it roids, be it greenies, be it whatever. I really, at this point, I, I see Major League Baseball just bringing the hammer every single time. Well, that's it then. See, you know, you get people that abuse the rules and use HGH, and then they just ruin everything for everybody else. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I kind of feel bad for the guy because, like yeah. you said, if it's a legitimate medical thing that he needs, and he just, for, yeah. I, I'd love to hear his explanation. If he just forgot to ask for it, I mean, I don't know how you forget, but yeah, that's the thing. It's, that's it's not like he, they caught him, you know, for the very first time sneaking something that's, you know, right. obviously he needs it. He's gotten permission for it. Why he didn't get permission this time, Lord knows. But shoot, that's that's a that's a big mistake, man. <laughs> and whoops. <laughs> so yeah, that, see, that's the big question, Mark. Why didn't he ask for the exemption? Why didn't he get the waiver? And I'm sure that's what the Orioles are asking too. Then again, yeah. why you know the Orioles had to have known about it, so why didn't they make sure it happened too? And why there's it, a lot of questions there that I'm sure Orioles fans want answered. Sure, and if it's a legitimate medical need, then why is why is that a waiver that expires? Yeah, that's another good point. Exactly. Maybe he thought it wasn't. I don't know. But it seems like if you really definitely, you know, if you have an ADHD type, uh, you know, scenario going on, you need Adderall. Seems like you could get a, a kind of an ongoing waiver for that. Yeah, yeah. But again, uh, you know, not not to uh, throw a little Sean Fried out there, but this could help the Tigers because the, the Tigers win the division. They, their very likely first round opponent could be the Orioles. So, but. 
again, we'll have to wait and see what how this all goes down, and maybe we'll hopefully we'll get more explanation next week. We'll, we'll be able to talk about it uh, next week exactly what the explanation was. But regardless, once again, uh, performance enhancing drugs are making headlines in baseball. I wish we were still we were could you know talk about the game itself. You know. Have more conversations like we had with Mario and Pemba, so that which was a lot of fun. So yeah, uh, and I think that's a good place to uh, to wrap up the show. So anything you'd like to add, Hookside, before we uh, call it an afternoon? Uh, just to remember that uh, we we've got some spectacular yes. guests yeah. coming up uh, next week. Will be uh, Rod Allen, Mario's partner in the booth, will be joining us, and then the week after that, we've got it confirmed. Talked to Dan Dickerson today, mm-hmm. and so he's agreed to join us on the September twenty sixth podcast. So that's coming up. Looking forward to that. God, maybe one of these days we'll get lucky enough to get Jim Price, but I, we're on a roll right now. So it's uh, and and kudos to Hooks like because he's really been the uh, the the primary force between getting some of, getting some of these good guests. So thank you so much for what you've done because uh, well, sure, but I, I it's been a great great stretch of guests we've had. Yeah, it's, it absolutely has, and it's been fun to have those guys on the podcast. And uh, I have to give a shout out to Catherine Slunksness, mm-hmm. you know, because she's the one that got us to hook up with with Dan Dickerson. I actually got to go, you know, sit and talk with him and kind of put in the good word for us so we'll uh we'll give her the credit on that one yeah exactly so thank you to Catherine as well because i know you won't see her on the site for the next uh, week or so she's taking some time off so i'll be doing lots of recaps over the next 10 days or so but Woo-hoo! yeah <laughs> that's starting tonight so but uh with that uh, i think we've got everything covered so um as always, Hookslide, where can the listeners find you online? If I'm on Twitter at HookslideBYB, and I can also be reached uh, by email, HookslideBYB at gmail.com, and then uh, occasionally tweeting for the Bus You Boys uh, Twitter. Yeah, I believe you're on it tonight, are you not? I think I was. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but we'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to figure that out. So, Because uh, it looks like it's down to three of us on Twitter at this point. Yes. So. <laughs> but because uh, essentially Kurt has been recused because he's bad juju at this point. Well, so, but I think I'm bad juju because I think I've lost the last three. Ah, uh, yeah, well, it goes in streaks. And, yeah. You know, I think, yeah, because I know I think the Tigers won the, they won the first two games of the Royal Series. I know I did one of them. So me and Rob, I think, did those. Right. And I regardless the... of that. I had, I had the James Shields the game, so that's yes. boring. Yeah, yeah, that's it. that's the worst part of a game like that. What are you going to do? It's hard to be entertaining and funny when when you're James with, Shields is just shut down. When you've had two hits all game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, so of course, yeah. So please follow us on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BigAlBYB, and of course uh, at BlessYouBoys.com as well. Be on the lookout for the Knee Jerks podcast to do with Bless You Boys contributor Greg Eno. We're going to get that back fired up. Probably this Sunday, so be on the lookout for that as well. You can find that podcast at iTunes and Stitcher and things like that. And again, we also need to get uh, uh, thank everyone for their patience with the download and streaming issues we had with the site. Blog Talk Radio was a great help. I have no idea what was going on or what exactly happened, but they were it was coming. It was on their end, and they were able to get it straightened out. And looks like all the downloads and iTunes should be working as it should. Stitcher is back to updating. So, uh, essentially, unfortunately, I think uh, it really affected uh, Podcast 126 a lot. And that one, like, so, and 127 for the most part. So, we should all be back to normal. And if you do have issues, please contact us one way or another via Twitter, leave comments on the show post. So, so we know about these things because some because some things can affect you, but doesn't affect me. Because, for example, I I don't use Apple products, so I mean, I, I really really use iTunes, so I wasn't really aware what was going on with it. So, just let us know if you have issues, and for that matter, 
let us know what you think about the show. All right, let's wrap things up. So, until this time next week, when we're talking to Rod Allen, this is Mr. Al Beaton saying good afternoon and good luck along the hook slide. I need to go get a waiver for my Adderall. <laughs> I'll ask for the waiver on the next Bushy Boys podcast. <laughs> That'll get him out of the old ballpark. That's good advice. Thanks, big fella.